it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here on Iowa Caucus Day. So excited uh, to get some results instead of some speculation, some insight, uh, and some analysis, and maybe some post game talk because we do have a lot of polls to go over. Some that don't even involve that don't even involve caucus uh, caucus goers, and some that don't even involve. Republicans, but it is pretty stunning. I just saw him a second ago. Senator Ron Johnson's going to be with us out of Wisconsin. He'll be in studio. Be excited to see him. And of course, I uh, hope everybody had a fantastic weekend. We're able to avoid the cold the best as possible. And I know every Cowboy fan is in mourning today. And you may be looking at a new coach. I saw that was an unbelievable game. I'm so happy for the Lions fans. Um, I know uh, the Rams had a good season. No one expected them to re uh, to rebuild so quick. But I just think uh, to see the Cowboys go down like that was stunning. And I look forward to two big games today. Buffalo was postponed. The weather was so bad. And they said they could have played football in it, but it wouldn't be fair to the fans. You think? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Seven of the highest profile cases in the United States going to land right here. God, you did not tell me that people would call me the N-word more than they call me Fanny. What are you talking about? Fanny Willis, one of the biggest embarrassments in, in the, uh, the legal profession. You're going to find out a lot about her in the upcoming weeks. Trump on trial. Is the Georgia election tampering case falling apart as incompetent DA Willis gets exposed and she claims racism and sexism? We have the details and the lines to the White House. Number two. It does not happen in a vacuum. Starting with Afghanistan, we've seen time after time the regional powers, whether it's Iran, whether it's Russia, China, much bigger than a regional power, they're all trying to expand. They're all taking advantage of the United States' weakness. Uh, that, of course, is K.T. McFarlane. 100 days, the Middle East and Far East. It's been 100 days since the October 7th attacks. We will talk about its impact on America, on U.S.-Israeli relations. Plus, why the Houthis attack and how the Taiwan election will affect all of us here at home. Number one. Donald Trump, 49% of Donald Trump supporters said they were extremely enthusiastic about voting for him. 23% of Ron DeSantis's. For Haley, that number was 9%. If you're not terribly enthusiastic, are you going to drag yourself out on a night like this? <laughs> uh, Axelrod with the analysis. All eyes on Iowa as the caucus kicks off. Polls show Trump could shatter all records and win by as many as 30. The battle for second, critical. We will cover every angle, including the brutal weather, as Joe Biden is in free fall with his approval. And this is what makes the Republican caucus so interesting. It's not how would they do against the incumbent president, how would they do against the Democratic nominee. It is how would you do against a president who's running for re-election, we assume, that was so afraid of Iowa, he made sure for the first time in recent memory, a modern politics, that it is not the first contest for Democrats, nor is New Hampshire, because he did so bad there, he didn't even stay for the results. But now all eyes are on the Republicans, because Joe Biden's approval rating just came out. ABC says it is 33%. 18% approve of his border policy. Fewer than that 
uh, just over uh, just under 40 percent approve of his foreign policy. And I don't know who those 40 percent are. But focusing on the Republicans for now, DeSantis has worked hard every county. He's looked strong in every debate. He's even taken on Gavin Newsom, gone one-on-one with Nikki Haley, but has, doesn't seem to budge. Just looking at the Des Moines Register poll, and you were, if you were kind enough to watch One Nation over the weekend, just as we started, 9 o'clock Eastern time, I was able to get the last Des Moines Register poll. And here it is. Trump uh, with uh, 48% of the vote. He lost three. Uh, Haley... With 20 percent of the vote, up four. DeSantis, down three. Vivek, up three. And uh, extremely enthusiastic, 49 percent for Trump, uh, 23 percent for DeSantis, and 9 percent for uh, Haley. That's significant because if you're not that motivated, maybe I'm not going to go out and 19 degrees below zero. What's the difference between this and 2016 when Ted Cruz won? We have 100,000 more Republicans in Iowa right now, and there will be 150,000 expected to show up in this weather. That's considered good. Think about how much impact those 150,000 are, because if Donald Trump wins convincingly here, you wonder if Ron DeSantis drops out. And then you wonder, because it's money, too, by the way. And then, of course, there's no debate on ABC. There's supposed to be a debate. Trump's not going to show up. Who is, you know, who's Nikki Haley going to debate? There's going to be no one. There's no debate. And then it'll be a one-on-one in New Hampshire where there's a lot of independents or Democrats could decide to register and just vote on the Republican primary because there's nothing, uh, there's nothing to do on the, on the Democratic side. That's because of Joe Biden. Didn't think he'd do well. So that's who we're looking at now. Here is Donald Trump. He talked about what's changed about him this time because he did not do well last time. Cut one. We were doing very well in terms of popularity. We learned, actually, a lot from Iowa. We went and won New Hampshire by a lot, and then we ran out the string. But uh, that was 2016, the last time we did tremendously in Iowa. And I think this time we have a really great grand game. Yeah, I think so. Uh, So I think, by all accounts, his organization is impressive. I've never said that, and that's never been the diagnosis. But even if you watch other channels, they say that, you know, it's unbelievable that it's great that Governor DeSantis went to 99 counties. Vivek was also uh, very busy. Uh, For the most part, Nikki Haley said, I'll meet you in New Hampshire. But for Trump, he had his captains do a lot of the stuff. Some of it he couldn't do himself anyway because it's in court. And court was taking up a lot of his time, and he was using it to his advantage. The one thing that I walk away with, if Donald Trump takes this big and takes New Hampshire and has momentum going to South Carolina where he's up big, the court cases that were supposed to destroy him fueled him. And the question is, will it help him in the general? Well, right now, in the latest poll by ABC, he's up by two on Joe Biden. Remember, he really only lost the election by 45,000 votes in key battleground districts. Has he done enough to make it up? And has Joe Biden hurt uh, the country enough to make it up? Here's David Axelrod about uh, what he sees would be the difference in this election. Why Haley does so much better head to head against Trump and would it, excuse me, against Biden and would it even matter? Here it is. Cut 14. Half her support comes from independents and Democrats who say they're going to vote in the Republican uh, caucuses. Are they going to drag themselves out? on uh, a bitterly cold night to sit through two hours of uh, of, of discussion uh, to cast a vote for Nikki Haley. It may happen. It could happen. But it, 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 it looks worrisome to me from her perspective. 
Yeah, I mean, people are enthusiastic about her. It's You cannot mess with her competence. Uh, the one thing I found interesting is that if people who vote for Haley say that they don't have the option to vote for Haley, let's say she drops out or just doesn't get the nomination, to mean at some point she'll drop out, they say they're more likely to go to Joe Biden than to Donald Trump. Wow. To me, that's stunning. So Trump's got some work to do, and he should keep that in mind when it comes to a number two, if in fact he holds on to the lead he has in the polls. So what is at stake here? A lot for DeSantis. I saw Mark Short on Meet the Press. I want to share this soundbite with you right now. Cut 15. I don't make as much about whether DeSantis goes to South Carolina or New Hampshire next. I think the reality is he has to have a strong showing here because he doesn't have the same operation in New Hampshire or South Carolina. But I think the conundrum for Nikki Haley is that if if she really does finish second, which I'm still skeptical, I think DeSantis has a better ground game. But if she did and DeSantis dropped out, most of DeSantis' support goes back to Trump. So it doesn't really help her in the long term here. So. Whether DeSantis goes to South Carolina, New Hampshire, Kristen, I still feel like this is not going to be a protracted nomination battle. I think by the time you get through South Carolina, we're pretty much going to know who the nominee is. Mark Shore is real bright. Uh, he fought, he was in the Trump administration but worked for Vice President Pence and was hoping Pence would get the nomination, but he wasn't close. So it is so important what he said, that if DeSantis drops out, most of that support's going to go to Trump, because he's so much like DeSantis, DeSantis just younger, thought he'd be a better alternative. And the reason why DeSantis is surprised, and Mike Pompeo said, I'm out, instead of going in, and maybe Tom Cotton felt the same way, is because people looked at the court cases, the momentum that DeSantis had, the poor midterms for Republicans, and thought, Donald Trump is vulnerable. And then you look at the criminal cases. Clearly, uh, politics played a role in how they piled up, especially the timing. And Democrats are shocked. And Republican would-be nominees uh, have been unable to recover. Listen to, of all people, Chuck Todd on the show he used to host, Cut 12. There's going to be so many what-ifs, though. What if Alvin Bragg had not gone first, right? Yep. What if only Jack Smith had done? Like, we're, you know, I could tell you this. Ron DeSantis has already said his excuse if he ends up getting out of this race. Uh, he's already diagnosed why he didn't make it. Mm. And he has said he blames Alvin Bragg. He blames... He, and you talk, look, I've talked to folks inside the White House. They didn't believe these indictments would actually be a benefit to him either, in fairness. Don't you love when all the experts are wrong? And the thing that I liked about my stance on this, I did this horrible thing by saying, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how these court cases are going to affect him. I mean, I looked at the Alvin Bragg case. I said, are you serious? Nobody took this case on. All of a sudden, the White House sends a, uh, sends a lawyer to work with Alvin Bragg, and they bring the case, and they make it first. And people look at it and see the holes in it and thought, that's going to be the first indictment on a former president in American history? This? And then Jack Smith rolls out, looks on pure politics. Even if you like the substance of his case on January 6th and the documents case, even if you like that, you can see pure politics in the way he's approaching this. Why the rush? It's usually the the accused that's in a rush and has the right for a speedy trial. Suddenly, a man looking for justice, not a conviction, justice, needs a quick result and a quick trial date because he wants to get the indictment, turn it into a conviction so it eliminates him or has him an empty vessel as he gets to November. That's the only reason. But I have news for you, Jack Smith and Democrats. The American people are smarter than that. Even the the people that aren't vehemently anti-Trump, like every Democrat and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, the ones who go, you know what? I like his policies better. I like the country better. And the way they're going after him, from kicking him off the ballot 
to the plethora of cases, the ridiculous 91 charges, knowing that Biden's got this corrupt thing going with Hunter that he's very much involved in. We all know logic would lead us there. And then you factor that. And he also has documents over the course of decades when he had no presidential immunity at any point ever. And we don't have any answer on that. But the president's got multiple indictments on his. Not saying he's perfect. But they so overcharged. Uh, and then they came up with the civil trials. People are saying, not in my country. I want to pick my person. Oh, you kick him off Colorado and Maine? That's not okay with me. I want to have a chance not to vote for him. But you knock him off, and then you start telling me I'm not eligible. That bothers me. Uh, sports analogy is probably the best. You know, if you, you want your team to win the Super Bowl with the World Series, got it. NBA championship, True. But what if they just eliminated the other team? Excuse me. Let them go play. You can't just eliminate them. And then you say, well, just pick somebody else. Well, why are you forcing me to do my second choice? That's what the people are saying. And that's what the polls are revealing. But we're finally going to get some results tonight. I have a lot to say, obviously. And so do you. one 408 7669 We'll do that. And then Senator Ron Johnson in studio. Multiple things to talk to him about. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I, I don't like to do minute sound bites. I always try to break it up, and uh, and of course Pete Allison and Eric always break it up too. But this is a little different. I, I, I told the Sunday shows I just want to get a, a sense of everything that's going on, and a good guest ideas, good perspective. I don't just want to be in an echo chamber uh, because I know I don't know everything. I want to hear a different angle, and then all of a sudden, if I hear something, I'm, I'll follow it up if I have to. But some of the times the bias things I forget. And to me, this is just an example. It's not major. Like, they don't just come out and say Donald Trump is terrible, every Republican's evil. But when I hear stuff like this, I just want to share it with you. So if you don't know it or not, China over the last five, six years has got this formidable nuclear program. And I think they want to use it. Number two is, I don't know if you've been following it or not. But the North Korean nuclear program is expanding ever since they cut that deal that everyone was laughing off with Moscow, where they get the artillery and North Korea gets the technology. And then you have Iran. Yesterday, latest example, one of these weapons inspectors said they're probably a week or two away from getting a a weapon, nuclear weapon. So if I told you that and then said, is is the next war, a nuclear war possible, more possible than ever, you'd say, well, Brian, you got a solid point. Not if you're Donald Trump. Evidently, if you bring that, if you're Donald Trump, you can't bring that up. So I just want to share this with you and tell me if you feel the same way. Cut 20.
I've seen him. Major Garrett, sounds like Trump is saying I alone can fix it. So I've been covering Donald Trump since 2015, and my conversations way back then, Margaret, reminded me of something that he's always possessed, a fear and a fascination about I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me do this. Let me do this in the right order. Here's what she was referring to, cut 19. I think we're the closest that we've ever been. And, you know, Joe, this won't be a regular war. This is not going to be, as I say, army tanks running back and forth, shooting each other. These are weapons of mass destruction, the likes of which nobody's ever seen. I've seen. I've seen them. And uh, this is obliteration. This is not a world war like we are used to. World War One, World War Two were terrible. So do you know what I'm talking about? What he's saying in a very calm voice from somebody in a town hall is fine, right? Of course. That's what we worry about. That's why we're building massive missile defense. So now listen to Margaret Brennan. I've seen him. Major Garrett, sounds like Trump is saying I alone can fix it. So I've been covering Donald Trump since 2015, and my conversations way back then, Margaret, reminded me of something that he's always possessed, a fear and a fascination about nuclear weapons and nuclear war, a constant obsession with his, how to avoid it. So that's one part of that answer. It's a legitimate one. Most American presidents in the nuclear age have felt that as well. But Trump is acutely fascinated by it and fearful of it. That's one of the reasons he began those negotiations, though unsuccessful with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. But this is also an answer about a larger context in American political life. If you're not a Trump supporter, are you anxious about the future? Do you believe a reelected President Biden would be strong enough, fit enough, courageous enough to handle an unstable world? Trump is answering that. No, he won't. I will be. You may not like me. But I will be strong and I will be vigorous. That's one of the messages he's trying to convey with mm-hmm. that annihilation answer. I mean, it's just chilling, Amy, to hear some of the language that we are talking about being normalized on the campaign trail. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Is that the craziest thing ever? I'm sorry if nuclear war gets you upset. And that's the argument he's making, a rational argument, not yelling it in a crowded uh, arena. In a rational argument, in an answer to a question about nuclear war and the next war and worried about the conflicts, that's called picking a president that would be good in the crisis. I think that's part of the job audition, the job interview. Now, how responsible is that as compared to Donald Trump is Hitler, he will destroy democracy, he will refuse to leave office? Now, what do you think is more based in fact and rationality? I'll take the first with Trump. Nuclear war is real. And when I, when I cut it off because it was too long, at the end, he said, you know, I've seen the nuclear weapons. It's a scary thing. But I'm not going to rush into war. And this is not 2015. You can't say Donald Trump, Mr. Confrontational, needs to get in a war all the time. First pre- president, I think in 70 years, not involved in any conflicts during his time. Doesn't mean it won't happen if he gets another term. But it means that he doesn't have a proclivity to look for it. He hits our enemies so they don't hit us. All right. When we come back, Senator Ron Johnson in studio. We got him for the whole half hour. Uh, Homeland Security Budget Committee. He's got a lot to say. Don't move. So glad you're here. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's impossible to predict. What I can tell you is that Donald Trump wins with every demographic group that we looked at. And we looked at 
dozens. He has at least the plurality. So if there's a demographic group that, that is more susceptible, for example, maybe older people, it's, he can make it up in the younger people showing up in larger than expected numbers there. The underlying metrics for him are very strong. That is the number of people who say that they are committed to voting for him, that the number of people who say they will not change their mind, the number of people who say they are extremely enthusiastic for him. It's a it's an order of magnitude, better performance than the other contenders. A political analyst company called Seltzer and Company, President Ann Seltzer, was on with Neil Cavuto and just said, on every level, uh, it looks like Trump is going to have a really big day. And the question is, the expectations have been high. Will he be over 50 percent? That would be a record. And if he wins New Hampshire, it'll be the first time a non-incumbent Republican has ever won the first two contests. With me in studio, talk about everything, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Senator, great to see you. Morning, Brian. How about those Packers? Uh, it was an amazing game. And, it you know, I, I thought the way they were staging it, it was like the Packers just happened to be there. They never thought they'd be in the playoffs without Aaron Rodgers. And after the first drive, I thought to myself, they're here to play. And then I forgot the Cowboys weren't. So, unbelievable game. But i got to ask you about what she just said. Is that what you're hearing as a Midwesterner? Trump has seems to be dominating in Iowa early? I think it's virtually true. Uh, what people don't understand is how Trump supporters are so upset with his enemies. Uh, you know, the torment they put him through from the, the minute he became our nominee all the way through his presidency to this moment. Uh, individuals want those people defeated. As, as much as they want Trump reelected, they want his tormentors defeated. And that's part of the thing that drives this. You know, what's interesting is I played it already for our audience, but I'll play it for you. Chuck Todd not holding, hosting meets the press. I guess the biasness was getting too much. Here's what he said, because the, the, the game plan obviously was get him on trial, put these cases out there, and destroy him before he can get the nomination. Cut 12. There's going to be so many what ifs, though. What if Alvin Bragg had not gone first, right? Yeah. What if only Jack Smith had done? Like, we're, you know, I could tell you this. Ron DeSantis has already said his excuse if he ends up getting out of this race. He's already diagnosed why he didn't make it. Mm. And he has said he blames Alvin Bragg. He blames... He, and you talk, look, I've talked to folks inside the White House. They didn't believe these indictments would actually be a benefit to him either, in fairness. You know, I, I was on Chuck Todd shortly after January 6th, and Chuck Todd accused me of lighting the fire. And I said, no, no, Chuck, you, you lit the fire. You and your buddies in the media that uh, carried the false narrative of Trump collusion with Russia, completely false. Uh, the FBI knew it was false. And they've carried that all the way through to this day. And, again, they're, they're looking at, uh, you know, half America as potentially domestic terrorists. It's the unbelievable bias, the, the radical leftists in our media that, is, that are not honest, that are carrying the warning for the Democrats. That, that is what is, uh, quite honestly, providing the enthusiasm for Trump among Trump supporters. Again, they, we, they want people like Chuck Todd, the mainstream media, uh, the, the radical leftists in these agencies and these institutions, they want them defeated because they are the ones that are destroying this country. And the big overreach, would I even hear, I always, I, I think you heard my first block. I do listen to other channels all the time. I want to find out what's going on. And one thing they said uh, with uh, this whole knocking him off the ballot in Colorado and Maine and then trying to get him knocked off everywhere is we better not do that. That is unconstitutional. It's against the American spirit. You can't knock somebody out because you don't like him. And by my goodness, the precedent it would set, 
You think Oklahoma in 2028 is not going to go, yeah, I don't like that Democrat. You know, he said something that would radicalize an arena one time and maybe somebody got run over. The precedent would be terrible for the country, and it's a total overreach. It's a classic tactic of the left to falsely accuse their opponents of exactly what they do. They're destroying democracy. I mean, they are, they are the ones that have weakened this country. I've, I've said this repeatedly. If, if you had to develop a strategy for destroying America, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a better plan than what Biden and his leftists are implementing. The open borders, the 40-year high inflation, war on fossil fuels, you know, emboldening our enemies abroad, and, and literally destroying our country d- democratically. So with, with the uh, Joe Biden wants to do is he wants to say that Donald Trump is not worthy. He is Hitler. He will end democracy. And they already started in January – you realize the damage to our country, if Trump wins and he's up in every poll, right? Still within the margin of error, we don't know what's going to happen. But if he just flats out wins, the country is going to be convinced that the, the, our country's over. What do you think it's going to be, the reaction's going to be? Well, there was a reason that storefronts in big cities boarded up prior to the 2020 election, right? It wasn't in the event that Joe Biden won. Okay, it was in case Donald Trump won. They were going to be and, and let's face it, we, we all condemned the violence of January 6th, but the vast majority of those people that showed up in Washington are the people that showed up at Trump rallies, the people I know, the God-fearing, country-loving. They're not law, violent. They're not violent. In and fact, they mo- got beat up. Most of them weren't. And, of course, J. Michael Waller's testimony showed four distinct groups of provocateurs. We haven't even begun to be told the full story or understand the truth of what happened on January 6th. Haven't even begun. Democrats won. Victors write history. They've been writing history for two years now. You know, thousands of armed insurrectionists. There weren't. Well, That's not what an insurrection would look like. But, again, they wrote that history, which, again, also upsets and energizes Trump's base. And, and Senator Ron Johnson's not sitting here saying that those many guys who took the bike racks and ran over cops well, with them and be smashed windows. Absolutely. We condemned it. Yeah, and, and that was violent. But not everybody was. There's over 1,000 in jail. And, by the way, Brian, you notice the left doesn't, Never criticized the violent protests in January in the summer of 2020. Never. Kamala Harris encouraged people to vote, to uh, donate to the bail funds for the the rioters in Minneapolis. So I want you to. So what happens is if Trump's going to get if Biden's going to get elected, he's going to do with his army of supporters. He's too busy running the country. So Pritzker, uh, Waltz, uh, they're going to have Gavin Newsom. So the army of supporters came out yesterday. Listen to this and tell me how this defense is going to work. Cut 24. Our poll, in fact, said 28 percent, just 28 percent think that President Biden has the mental sharpness to effectively serve for another term. So how does he address those concerns, those very real concerns that voters have? Maybe we ought to start by just acknowledging that Joe Biden has years of experience, that when you talk about someone's age, you're also talking about the wisdom that they've gained over many years and how they've demonstrated their empathy that they've learned from so many experiences. Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump are roughly the same age. Do you think Donald Trump has learned empathy in his life? He has not. How's that go? Well, first of all, what's wrong (laughs) with the 28 percent? Okay, and then Joe Biden's experience, remember, is Robert Gates, Obama's defense secretary, said that Joe Biden has been wrong on every major foreign policy. And he's continuing that record. And yeah, you know, unabated. Uh, Look at the world in flames. Because of Joe Biden's mistakes in foreign policy, the, the weakness, again, it's American weakness that emboldens our enemies and why, one of the main reasons that uh, the world's in flames right now. Uh, I want to talk about the border. Uh, there's no bigger issue that's got almost everyone galvanized except the border. Listen to Joe Manchin, Cut 45. 
I'm just saying by the crisis at the border yeah. is the greatest crisis we face in America, the dangerous crisis that we're facing now. And I believe very strongly that that border needs to be secured and to secure it, close it down. If you can't get a pathway that legislature agrees on. You get a Democrat can't get through to the Democratic president on the border. And then we know that we know what's going on. The Texas National Guard is now taking over the border from the Border Patrol. This is states against the federal government. What century are we in? Well, first of all, understand the open border is a clear and present danger to America. But you also have to understand Joe Biden and the vast majority of his Democrat colleagues in Congress want an open border. They caused this. This didn't just happen on their watch. They caused this. Joe Manchin, to his credit, was the only Democrat that joined, you know, Republicans in voting to actually complete the wall that we bought and paid for that was costing us more not to build than complete it. So Joe, Joe Manson's right on this. But the, the other Democrats voted against even completing the wall. So, again, they want an open border. It's pretty hard to negotiate with the arsonists trying to convince and them to put they up do fire. that by changing the asylum rules, where if you come in and say, I'm, under, I'm being persecuted, you get to stay. In the past, you're 80, 90 percent of them be going out because that's not enough. You have to have proof. And now go to another part of your country and apply for it through the embassy there. So remember, President Trump pretty well secured the border without any change in law. You know, yeah, he finally got Title 42, but that's after he, by and large, had secured the border. We'd stopped the flow of unaccompanied children and family units you know, abusing our asylum laws. Joe Biden does not need any law changes to secure the border. If he wants to do it, he could do it. If he needs greater authority, just come to Congress. Republicans will give it to him. But again... People have to understand what's happening here. They want an open border. Right now, well, now they're, it's they're negotiating with Senate Republicans, but they're negotiating for political cover, not for the tools to actually close the border. Well, how do you change political cover to a hard, hard-clad changes? Because Senator Langford is no dummy. Right. So that is true, but he's really working off the Democrat script here. Again, we, we, I, I'm the guy that slowed this process down. We, we had, a, instead of allowing Schumer and McConnell to quit negotiate this and pass before Christmas, I said, no, no, no. We haven't seen any text. We don't know what this is. Let's have a conference meeting, which we had last week. And yeah, James is very knowledgeable about this. I think he's operating in good faith. But we didn't talk about all the things that are now being reported that uh, have, have really energized the right coming out against what they're trying to do. What, Again, what, we, we haven't seen a word of text. Okay, so is there a text that could be written by a Democrat that you trust that would be enforceable under a Democratic president? So I think Kirsten Cinema is also negotiating good faith. I, I actually worked with her when I was chairman of the committee. We, she seems reasonable. We came up with Operation Safe Return. DHS took that, that morphed into Return to Mexico, and that worked. The problem is she's also negotiating for a conference that wants open borders. I, I can't emphasize that enough. How, could, how do you negotiate with the arsonist to put out his fire? Again, they, they are only looking for political cover. So it's one of the reasons they're, holding, they're hiding the text from everybody. They don't want people to see it. They want people to vote on it, on a concept, on a belief. Well, we, you, The American people need to see what's this and I don't think Lampo would ever tell you to uh, vote off. Do you think he would? Pardon? Would he tell you to vote off something, an idea or a summary? Who's that? Senator Langford. No, I don't think he would, but McConnell would. Okay, I yeah. think Schumer would. Others would. Senator no, listen, I, 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 I appreciate what James is trying to do. He's got an impos- impossible task. So, uh, And a lot of people like Troy, Trey, uh, Trey Nail said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to make – because I don't want to do anything that makes it look like he is solving this crisis because he caused it. But let's say – Roger Marshall said he's actually surprised at some of the progress that has been made – 
He observed that the lawmakers have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to secure the border, and we have the opportunity, if we have a good deal on the table, if we get 80 to 90 percent of what we want, then GOP should take the deal. Your reaction? That's a Republican. Let's see what they've got. Again, okay. we held the meeting. James talked about the good stuff. Didn't mention anything about what's now being reported He's not as do last the wall. week. I know that for sure. They will not there's, agree to there's do There's no the wall. wall. They, they haven't resolved the whole parole system, which they've allowed. Again, parole is supposed to be case-by-case basis. Let's say you've got cancer. You want to come in here temporarily to get treatment and then go home. They've granted to millions of people. Or, or They could do it million. on an app. Pardon? They could do it on an app. Yeah. They could apply for parole on an app in another country. Yeah. So and again, as soon as they get the green light, they get to get stay. And by the way, what sparked all this was... President Obama abusing prosecutorial discretion that also ought to be granted on a case-by-case basis. He granted it to hundreds of thousands of people in DACA. That's what sparked this process. So it's the abuse of our asylum laws by Democrat administrations that have caused this problem because they wanted to open the border. See, Henry Cuellar, Democrat, said that some, he believes some of these left-wing groups got to Biden early and that, like, we can't get to him to even sober him up. But this is so overwhelming that he's got such poor marks and everybody's been dragged down. I think that they might be forced to do something, but I don't know if I don't know if there's a mechanism out there to make them enforce even the best text. Will they be will they be allowed to do with the best text that you might have written? Would they be allowed to implement that? Well, something did change. I mean, Biden, Obama, Hillary Clinton, Chuck Schumer, they voted for the Secure Fence Act 2006. Now now they won't even vote On to complete yeah. What was already bought and paid for. So, again, something has changed within their politics. They have become the party of open borders. They've come, become the, they are the party of one world order, you know, borderless uh, world. And that's what they're implementing right now. Again, they caused this. Right. No doubt about it. The one thing they weren't planning on, the Hispanic vote not to go to them. They're losing more every year, and they can't figure that out either. Listen, Senator Ron Johnson here for a few more minutes. We've got much more to talk about uh, on Iowa Caucus Day, where Donald Trump looks he's got a secure lead. People are expecting over 50 percent. Could that be a problem? High expectations are possible and possible to suffice. We'll take a look at it, but we'll be back again in eight days with New Hampshire. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Give it up to everybody in this room. First seventh seed in the history of the NFL to win a playoff game. How about our defense? Give it up for our defense. With the highest QB rating in Packer history at one minute. Let's go, man. Family on three. One, two, three. Bam. So now it's off to San, oh, off to San Francisco, right? To play the 49ers, Senator Ron Johnson. And I appreciate being here in New York City that New Yorkers were fully in support <laughs> of the Packers last night, too. So and, that was and by the here. way, uh, are you surprised how Aaron Rodgers, even though it's the tragedy of his uh, Achilles, how he's been embraced by New Yorkers and how he's embraced New York. Does that surprise you? You probably, I mean, you're reading about him every day for 15, 20 years. Not really. And, you know, it's interesting when Brett Favre went to New York, to New York Jets after his career in Green Bay, Green Bay Packer fans just hated management for letting that happen, right? When he went to the Vikings, they hated Brett Favre because that was a real rivalry. So, you know, we, we, we think kindly of New York teams because they've, they haven't given us too many problems in the past. Right. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> they haven't, although the Giants did the, I know, you. I know, I know, I know. Right. Uh, and then they went ahead and beat the, uh, beat the Patriots. Uh, so, Senator Johnson, i got to ask you, I'm probably not giving you enough time. 
But this story with Fannie Willis in Georgia is unbelievable. So this state prosecutor decides to go after the president of the United, former president of the United States, and she names a special prosecutor who has, does accidents and divorces. Turns out they're having an affair. She claims, she goes, you have to give a black woman some credit because uh, – give him some grace because we're not perfect. What does that have to do with it? And then we find out this guy is meeting with the White House counsel – and when they still say there's no coordination between Biden and the attack and the legal attacks on the pre- former president. Yeah, she funds him to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars. He takes her to these you know fabulous vacations. Uh, no, Brian. But it's the coordination with the White House. I think is a big deal. You know, I, I say this all the time. It, it's not a level playing field. It's not a fair fight. I mean, the fact that the mainstream media are basically advocates for the left, um, it's a huge problem for our country. Worse than you because, ever thought, because, right? because they're not holding both sides equally accountable. You know, we want a free press that's inquisitive, that investigates, that holds both sides equally accountable. But they're not going to hold Fannie Willis accountable, are they? They're, they're going to ignore that just as they've ignored the borders, just as they're covering up for Biden on so many different areas. But here's where I feel better about it, more optimistic than you. They are not covering for on the border. There is not one Sunday show that said it wasn't a crisis. Because they can't anymore. True. And then the other thing with her, they wrote it up in the Washington Post when the 11th paragraph they put about his visits to the White House that Republicans claim is problematic because of the links to Joe Biden. Republicans claim. So that's the discrepancy. Oh, but this is a problem. And but, Donald Trump now has proof that there's coordination. But I would say that the, the turning point in terms of the mainstream media covering the border was when Mayor Adams here in New York said this is going to destroy our city until he said that. The mainstream media, by and large, covered up for it. I mean, they, they reported a little bit, but not the way they would if that would have been a Republican administration. That's why DeSantis and Abbott have the uh, have the move to help our country more than anything else to help. Forget yeah, about politics. That, that was brilliant, by the way. You know, just sh- shipping them up Martha's Vineyard, New one eight hundred Sanctuary City. That's what you get. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. Senator. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from Midtown Manhattan. I've never been happier. Uh, As much as I love Iowa, I'm thrilled with the caucus, intrigued by the people. I do not want to be in minus 20 degree weather, so I'm not, uh, although it is cold. But Saturday was amazing. Foggy in the day, and then next thing you know, it's 60 degrees, and I could be wearing shorts again. So that was pretty cool. Michael Goodwin standing by knows all about it. New York Post uh, is the one who... Uh, matches his 401k contribution. And Britt Hume at the bottom of the hour, he's seen it all. But like me, uh, as honestly can say, we've never seen anything quite like this. There's so much historical things uh, taking place with the carcasses. And I just can't believe how much, according to Ronna McDaniel, told me on Saturday night on One Nation, how much 150 will impact 150,000 Iowans will have on the next president. But it's true. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Seven of the highest profile cases in the United States going to land right here. God, you did not tell me that people would call me the N-word more than they call me fun. Oh, what is she doing? Uh, this embarrassment of a prosecutor, Fannie Willis. Trump on trial in the Georgia election tampering case. Willis falling apart as incompetent DA... Fannie Willis, you just heard her, gets exposed, and she claims racism and, of course, sexism. We have the details and the lines directly to the White House. Number two. It does not happen in a vacuum. Starting with Afghanistan, 
we've seen time after time the regional powers, whether it's Iran, whether it's Russia, China, much bigger than a regional power, they're all trying to expand. They're all taking advantage of the United States' weakness. Uh, that is KT McFall in 100 Days, the Middle East and Far East. It's been 100 days since the October 7th attack. We will talk about the impact on America, U.S.-Israeli relations, plus why the Houthi attacks and the Taiwan election will affect us all here at home, and we better pay attention. Number one. Donald Trump, 49% of Donald Trump supporters said they were extremely enthusiastic about voting for him. 23% of Ron DeSantis's. For Haley, that number was 9%. If you're not terribly enthusiastic, are you going to drag yourself out on a night like this? David Axelrod weighing in. All eyes on Iowa as the caucus kicks off. Polls show Trump could shatter all records and win by as many as 30. The battle for second critical. We will cover every angle, including the brutal weather, as Joe Biden is in free fall with an approval rating, according to ABC, of 33%. But what we're talking about is enthusiasm. And when it comes to enthusiasm, uh, Trump trumps all. He's at 60% of his people say they're very enthusiastic about him. 26% for... 26% for uh, Ron DeSantis and a lot less for Nikki Haley, at least in Iowa. Michael Goodwin, uh, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Michael, from what we know, and we're only, we're only susceptible to the polls that we read and what's been given us, if the quality of polls are correct, why do you think Trump's lead by so much? Well, look, I, I, I think it is largely a function of two things. First of all, he is who he is, and and as many people hate him for that, many others are are very enthusiastic for a return of a Trump presidency. But but I think the second reason really goes to the heart of what the Democrats have tried to do by these all of these prosecutions, all of this making him out to be the greatest evil who has ever walked the face of the earth. I think they've they've overplayed the point. And a lot of people say, no, that's not Donald Trump. You got it wrong. You're the one with with your prosecutions of him. You're the one who is a threat to democracy. Uh, you're the one with COVID and all those lockdowns. And you're the one with the DEI and the transgender stuff in the schools and all of that. You're the ones who are trying to destroy our country. You opened the border. Not, he closed the border. I mean, I think if you go through that that mindset, you say, well, why are you saying he's the devil incarnate when you're the one who are doing things that we regard as devilish? I mean, I think there's there's a psychological mistake here that the Democrats have made. They've simply overdone it. They, they've made him out worse to be than he is, actually. And they it has ricocheted on them. I mean, look, Brian, we saw this even while he was in office. You know, that I know for myself, I know many people who weren't necessarily wild about him, but who felt compelled to defend him against the overreach and the overkill and the exaggeration and the weaponization by the media, by the Democrats. I mean, all of these things, we could have had an immigration deal under Donald Trump. We could have had a dreamer's settlement under Donald Trump. We could have had infrastructure under Donald Trump, but the Democrats wouldn't even negotiate with him. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer treated him like he was a walking virus, and they would 
wouldn't really right. sit uh, down and negotiate. And they'll try to. And, and the minute he gets in, they'll try to impeach him again if he gets in. Uh, and you watch, especially if the House flips and the House has sure. done anything but do a job to tell everyone they're worthy of it. But get this: ABC does a poll, and only twenty-eight percent of the American people think that he. Twenty-eight uh, percent of the American people think that he's got the aptitude to do the job. That's a that's a problem. I mean, that is a real problem, and I think he's going to. It, this is not settled, right? If it, let's assume he wins Iowa and wins New Hampshire and sails on his way to the nomination, he's still got to persuade all of those uh, people um, on uh, in the middle. Right. The, 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 the elections are always decided by the swing voters. Um, we've been told for years it's the suburban women, right, who are worried about abortion or crime or whatever the, the hot topic is. It, how does it affect the suburban swing voters? That will be true this time as well, that there that there are independents of what I saw a number the other day. <clears throat> Uh, more than 40 percent of voters now consider themselves independent. I mean, I consider myself an independent. I'm registered as a Democrat, but I vote like an independent. I don't vote for the party. I vote for the person. And so I think that's that's the yeah. challenge for whomever wants to be president. You've got, got to, to win the independence. lock up your party and then get a majority of the independents. The approval rating right now is at 33 percent, the lowest of any president in 15 years. Only 50 57 percent of the Democratic Party support him and want him as the nominee, which is usually in the high 80s or 90s. That's how miserable this is. And four in 10 Americans rate their financial situation poor. That according to a new Axios poll. Now, these aren't friend. These aren't adversarial outlets that we're getting right. these polls from. Not that that in, in any good poll, it shouldn't matter Let the chips fall where it may. But Biden against Trump head to head, Trump by two. DeSantis, DeSantis beats by three, but Haley wins by eight. But another thing interesting about Haley, according to a poll, if Haley does not get the nomination, they asked her voters, who would you vote for? The majority, a Democrat. Look, I, I, I think that is the warning shot to Donald Trump. When you compare Joe Biden's approval numbers and then you look at the general election, with Biden's approval, with Biden's low approval and half of his party not wanting him to run even, why does Trump not beat him more? And I think that's the challenge that Trump has to accept and acknowledge that he has a problem with a lot of American voters. I, he can't win them all. Nobody could. But I think he needs to do some repair work. And I thought his appearance at the town hall with, with Brett Barron and McCallum was, was a good beginning in the sense that he came across as reasonable and not crazy, as, as sociable and not angry. Not, and, and I think he needs to be that person, not just pretend to be, but really be that person if he hopes to win over those disaffected Democrats I'll, I'll give you and independents. This is what he's up against. Number one, obviously to Sean Hannity, who's being sarcastic. I'll be a dictator for one day. I'll right. build a wall and I'm going to deport everyone and that's it. Then I'll go back to normal. Okay. And then in other words, in executive order, I'm going to put that same day. He could have done it, but obviously he was kidding. But they say he told you he's going to be a dictator. Now, yesterday, he made a comment. Listen, I know you're even if you're older, you go out and do it. Even if you pass away, you'll pass away for the right reason voting for me. 
They are running for a half hour now a quote from Donald Trump saying, even if you pass away going to vote for me, it's worth it. He was just kidding, having fun. But now you're going to, for 45 minutes, you're going to talk about how little he cares about voters dying as long as they vote for him. That's the unreasonableness I think the American people can see through. Which brings me to Chuck Todd did an appearance on the show he lost on Meet the Press. And he talked about basically the plan that was in place to hit him with so many court cases and so much negative publicity, he no longer is powerful enough to run for president. And in it, he basically finds out that uh, it, it did not have the same effect. Listen to these comments. Here's Chuck Todd. There's going to be so many what ifs, though. What if Alvin Bragg had not gone first, right? Yep. What if only Jack Smith had done? Like, we're, you know, I could tell you this. Ron DeSantis has already said his excuse if he ends up getting out of this race. He's already diagnosed why he didn't make it. Mm. And he has said he blames Alvin Bragg. He blames he. And you talk, look, I've talked to folks inside the White House. They didn't believe these indictments would actually be a benefit to him either. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, the indictments that they were probably behind, they, they think it would be a benefit. No kidding. No one saw this except for the unreasonableness about the 91 charges, let alone the civil cases. You know, Brian, I think at, at heart, Joe Biden is a very cynical man. And I, I believe that he has come come to power with this idea that the way to hold on to it is just to scare people about your opponent. And and if that doesn't work, we'll lock them up. But even just investigations and indictments are very powerful tools for politics. Uh, think about it. When we say that a politician is being investigated or a politician has been charged, we tend still to think guilty. I mean, that's the power of the federal government. That's the trust that we put in it. What the Democrats are doing is is eroding that trust to where when now somebody's being investigated or charged, we tend to think, oh, this is a setup. Oh, this is a political case. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's what they've done to America's trust in its institutions. And so that's why I say there's there's a cynical heart here that says we can manipulate power, we can man- the media is on our side. We can get the headlines. We can scare people. And we can say that Donald Trump is going to take away your democracy. I mean, you hear it all the time. If, if, if this could be the last vote you ever cast, I hear really smart people I respected saying things like that. I think your brain has gone to mush. I know. How could you possibly believe that? So I want you. By the way, you voted for Obama. Uh, you're you're open once, to either side. You once. Want, right, <laughs> but but you're open to it. I'm just saying when people listen to you, if they just say, "Well, he's a conservative," that's just not who Michael Goodwin is. Is you do what's best for the country, and you see insight. Even if you support a candidate, if they don't do, do something you don't like, you'll write about it, uh, or you think it's not good for the country. Yep. Robert Costa on Face the Nation said this. You talk about unreasonable. Said this as if it was fact. Cut twenty one. Look for Trump to try to assert himself as someone who's comfortable with power and wants a revival. Back in 2016, many of his allies told me he stumbled into the presidency. Now, years later, they say he's ready to use executive power in a sweeping way. Mass deportations shake up U.S. foreign policy. This election is shaping up to be a reckoning on American democracy and what a Trump return to the White House would say about the United States. But so many of Trump... Trump's rivals at this point are just not ready to wade into those waters. They're trying to stick to their talking points, and we'll see if that's enough for them to catch up. 
Yeah, he's going to use executive orders. Nobody used more than Joe Biden on day yeah. one. Remember those folders that he had in front of him? Thank you, Brian. Thank you. I mean, executive order. Look at the, what is the southern border, if not an executive order or executive decision not to enforce the law, right, to change the law. Look at look at Joe Biden on this uh, student forgiveness. Look how he look how he, man, he defied the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said you can't do all this. He keeps doing it. He did it again last week with another segment. I mean, this idea that Trump. Trump is uniquely a threat. And look, it goes back to 2016. Costa is right about that in the sense that that's when the New York Times, the leader of the media on this stuff, said we're not going to treat him like we treat other candidates. When he lies, we're going to call him a liar. That's what they did. And so every article in the New York Times since has become an opinion. And that's true of the Washington Post. It's true of CNN. This is what has become. It has corrupted our media. Everybody there is now free. And so that's why you see these headlines every day. And I look at them now and I say, it's it's that's not a fact. Right. That's an opinion guided by partisanship. That that is a form of corruption when when normal reporters turn into opinion writers on every story in a newspaper or every story on television. I mean, you you just watch right. all that's going on in the world, and CNN just and MSNBC are just fixated but, on Trump. Michael, that's I'll bring you something else. About. Compare the civil trial, which I think is totally unjust. There is no plaintiff, no insurance company, no bank was upset. No it's all Letitia James. And then you say, okay. And then what is the other big story? Illegal immigration. And guess who's at fault with that? It is President Biden. And guess who wanted to fight that? President Trump. So people that are not dug in politically will say, I like my life better. And wasn't it great when Floyd Bennett Field wasn't emptying it out into James Madison High School every time there was a windstorm and there weren't... To eighty thousand people taking up our hotels for free, but I just just to just juxtapose those things, Michael. Unfortunately, I, I've, I ran out of time. Thanks so much. Read his column. Joe Biden's handling of the Middle East. It's, it was in on Sunday, and he went on to say it's just downright dangerous. No joke, Michael. Thank you. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Your chance to talk. Bottom of the hour. Brit Hume. So much more to go, including why you should care about the Houthi rebels. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we're back. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to get insight from Iowa from Britt Hume in a moment, but let's go out to Gracie on WABC in Rockland. Hey, Gracie. Hi, listen, you know, um, there are two groups of people that don't like Trump. The regular people like me, the you know, the regular people, and most of them who don't like him don't have a particular reason or it's just one reason, like mostly for women abortion, as if we're going out running every day to get abortion instead of looking at the total picture. But then the second group are the never-Trumpers, the Republicans, that hate him because they themselves are in the swamp. And this time around, he knows what's going on better. He did an excellent job the first 
first four years with what was against him and the COVID, everybody. And so just imagine what he'll do these next four years. Listen, I'm 76. I've been around. I know what's going on. I can afford to live, but I don't know how these younger kids are living now. And dad is wonderful. Are they crazy? And that's all I have to say, Brian. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Man, you should have your own show, Gracie. Very effective. Nothing to add. The music's going to get louder and cut me off. So Bridium's going to be next. I can't wait to get his perspective of what's happening on the ground uh, and how cold is it and who do you think is going to be dissuaded from showing up and what it means eight days later. Well, we'll be talking about New Hampshire tomorrow, believe me. We'll get an answer tonight on who wins. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think when Republicans have had those elections, whether it's 2018, 2020, 21, 22, uh, the Democrats have uh, have benefited from that. Whereas if I'm the nominee, uh, we'll be solely focused on the issues that matter to the American people. I'll be able to hold Biden or whoever their nominee is accountable. Uh, and I think it'll be a crisp opportunity for a crisp victory uh, for Republicans. And so we have an opportunity to make that choice starting in Iowa and then through this process. But the notion that somehow uh, all this stuff that's swirling around him is going to be a positive in a general election, that's just not true. But he is doing better in a general election than he was uh Almost any time since Joe Biden got in the race and, and President Biden, President Trump is looking to hold on to the job. In fact, he's up two in the latest ABC poll. He uh, looks like Nikki Haley's up eight against Biden in the, in the ABC poll. And DeSantis is up three. It's still close, especially when you consider ABC poll has about 33 percent approval rating and only 24 percent think he is mentally astute enough to hold the job. Uh, Britt Hume uh, joins us now, Fox News senior political analyst. He joins us now from uh, Frigid, Iowa. Britt, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Glad to talk to you, Brian, as always. Yeah, so the governor's kind of frustrated. He's like, if you think things are going to change in the general, I'm trying to tell you I'm a better candidate, and he's been trying to say it in 99 counties. Why do you think he has not had more success moving his numbers if the polls are correct? Well, he's not really a natural campaigner. It's not his strength. And remember when he ran for governor, he barely won. And then, you know, a couple of years later, he he had done a job that was so widely approved of in Florida that he wins by, what, 19 points. So what what is the paradox of his situation is he'd be in much better shape if, you, if he could have run for president by being president. Of course, you can't do that, obviously. And uh, his, you know, his the fact that he's not a not a particularly charming campaigner, I think, is is a problem here. And the other thing is, the Republican Party at the moment seems a party determined, just absolutely bound, to renominate Donald Trump. When did you think that became clear to you? Well, I think the thing I think a lot of us had, didn't really anticipate was that Trump would be strengthened by being indicted. That's 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 not something. It's most people's you know bingo cards say you know Trump Trump gets indicted and gets stronger. That's just not what you expect to happen. I can't think of another time when it has happened. I guess it probably has, but uh, you know people people thought these think these indictments are bogus, and it makes them determined to you know vindicate him uh, by renominating him. And I, you know, the other thing is that people, the thing that people sometimes forget is for countless millions of Americans, life was strikingly better when Trump was president than it is for them now. 
and that's you know they remember you know they they I think they forgive him for the downturn in the economy that occurred because of COVID. Uh, they even though he was responsible or at least supported the lockdowns to some extent, uh, I think people felt that his instincts were that the lockdowns were a bad idea, and they agree with that. So things that you think might have hurt him haven't, and here we are. Right, uh, and the court cases have have fueled him, and he's used those court cases right after and right before as political events. Look at I'm being persecuted, and you got to be. I can't believe I'm prosecuted. I'm being persecuted by being prosecuted. Look at these cases: ninety-one charges, four separate indictments, multiple multiple civil suits, and then the Georgia case. The whole time he says, um, "This is Joe Biden," and they said, "There's no proof it's Joe Biden." No, it's Joe Biden against me. No, no, they're not nothing to do with Joe Biden. And then we find out about this Fannie Willis, who has a special prosecutor who she's seemingly being accused of having an affair with, who has no experience, never had a felony case. He does car accidents and divorces. And now he has invoiced the city of Fulton County, the county, for two visits to the White House, multiple hour consultation with White House uh, justice officials. Does that prove at the very least, Trump's point that the White House is everything to, or something to do with this? Well, it certainly strengthens the argument. And if you're already suspicious that these prosecutions are not on the level and you find out about these things, it's going to make you think, see, they aren't on the level. And I think that, you know, that's what's on. The other thing is that I think Trump benefited enormously from the fact that the first indictment that came down may be the weakest, and that was the Alvin Bragg indictment in New York where, you know, he's being accused of fraud involving loans, which were repaid with interest, and all the parties to these transactions were happy with him, and they're accusing him of fraud nonetheless. Um, it's a weak case. People see through it. Um, and I think, you know, that, that sort of created a stain that then attached to all the subsequent charges that were raised against him. So the one thing that is, that, you know, we don't know the strength of Trump, We've obviously seen the growing weakness with Joe Biden's 33 percent approval rating. And then we have the, the looming candidacy of RFK trying to get on all 50 ballots. Uh, we know about Jill Stein. It'll take uh, even if it takes a half of one percent. This whole election last time was determined by 45,000 votes. And then in comes a Democrat named Joe Manchin. Cut eight. With everything being so divided in Washington, anybody who's independent enough to vote what their conscience is, and be able to go home and explain it is looked at, looked upon and thinking, here, we're trying to grab the spotlight. It just seems to be on you because they don't have any control over you. So I've always been that independent voice. I try to represent my state of West Virginia and basically keep my pledge to the, to the uh, Constitution, which I've taken to uphold and defend the Constitution. So I'm going to be very independent. I'm looking at both sides, trying to find what's best for America. And he's going to New Hampshire, did the Sunday shows yesterday. I happened to run into him two weeks ago. And had a, a conversation with him, just my hunch. Uh, I think he's running. And I think he's looking for a running mate right now. What does that do to this, Britt? Well, it's just one more complication in this situation. And, of course, what Democrats are terrified of is that there'll be someone in the race who's generally liberal uh, and would vote with Democrats if you were in Congress, for example. And that such a, you know, with the discontent with Biden, that that would really really draw votes away from him and could decide the election. That's what they're all afraid of. And it would totally, it seems to be, it would hurt, uh, it would hurt Biden the most. And I think Axelrod and company agree with that. 
What about this case that Barack Obama seems to say this is a five alarm fire and that Biden doesn't seem to realize it, that his staff is looking at this and saying, do you understand you get your very bare bones? You have to go out there and campaign that maybe Biden learned the wrong lessons from the pandemic victory and Obama sees that as a problem. Uh, you always be able to see through what is gossip and what is real. I wonder what you think. I don't have well, Barack Obama has always had a certain amount of contempt for Biden. You know, he picked him because he you know, checked certain boxes for him, foreign policy experience and the rest of it. And, you know, it was seemed to be a safe choice. The problem is that Biden has significant weaknesses as a political figure. He's first of all, he's never been the sharpest knife in the drawer. Now he's manifestly senile. Um, there's a famous <laughs> quote attributed to, to Obama that I don't think has ever been denied in which he was have said, never underestimate the, uh, the ability of Joe Biden to F things up. He didn't say, yeah, if I did, but you get the idea. And uh, and Biden has F things up pretty badly in a number of counts. And, you know, you see him, you even see him, all you have to do is see him walk to say, this guy is enfeebled. And, you know, and then, you know, you say he's not campaigning hard enough. Well, he probably can't. Um, because, you know, he gets tired. He needs his rest. I'm the same age, roughly, as he is. I'm out here in Iowa for a few days, and by the time I get home tomorrow night, I will be utterly exhausted. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm just sitting on the sidelines, uh, you know, calling balls and strikes. I'm not in the, in the, I'm not doing what these candidates have to do. And Biden may simply not be, uh, simply not up to it. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, the ABC poll says 28 percent think he has the mental sharpness for another term, 28 percent. But his defense team fanned out uh, with Pritzker and Tim Walz, the governor of Minnesota yesterday, to say how uh, to say how uh, how spry he looked and how 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 strong his record is. And don't be you know, look at that as wisdom. Don't look at that as negative. Listen to this. Even Jonathan Carl's question. Cut 24. Our poll, in fact, said 28 percent, just 28 percent think that President Biden has the mental sharpness to effectively serve for another term. So how does he address those concerns, those very real concerns that voters have? Maybe we ought to start by just acknowledging that Joe Biden has years of experience, that when you talk about someone's age, you're also talking about the wisdom that they've gained over many years and how they've demonstrated their empathy that they've learned from so many experiences. Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump are roughly the same age. Do you think Donald Trump has learned empathy in his life? He has not. Is that a good argument? Well, it all look the whole predicate, really, of Biden's campaign and his decision to run again is built on the assumption that Donald Trump will be the Democrat, Republican nominee. And that, in turn, is something that uh, um, they thought would be, you know, he'd beaten him once before, he could beat him again. Uh, Trump, you know, really motivates Democratic voters. I mean, people sometimes say to me, no way Joe Biden got 81 million votes. I agree with that. I don't think that, I don't think Joe Biden got those 81 million votes. I think Donald Trump, who terrifies Democrats, got 81 million votes for his opponent, who happened to be Biden. Now comes a situation in which Biden's record is viewed as, as as wanting in many respects, especially on the economy, but other issues as well. Plus, he's manifestly enfeebled and a weak, a weakened candidate. 
and and Trump has obviously been forgiven for his for his sins after the election in 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 2020, and the tables have been turned, and you know, all he can fall back on. And you listen to that answer. Brian, it wasn't long before he got around to contrasting him with Trump. That's the whole predicate exactly. of their campaign, and it's not playing out so far in the way they'd hoped. So a couple of things. Uh, you know, the spin is unbelievable. I, you know, I don't know if you watched the Sean Hannity town hall. The president casually said, yeah, I'll, use an ex- he goes, I'll be a dictator for one day to close down the border and start drilling. And then he just obviously was kidding around. Everybody knows he's kidding around. Yesterday, they keep saying he admitted he's going to be a dictator. So that was the story for three months, three weeks. And then yesterday he said, I want you to get out there. It's really important that you vote. You know, even if it's cold and you're old, he goes, you know, even if you pass away, it'll be, it'll be a good move. Just vote anyway. He's obviously using Trump's sense of humor. They've been doing it for a half hour, how insensitive it is, how it's sending the wrong message to Iowa voters. It's okay to die voting. So when, when you see stuff like that, does that frustrate you? Do you understand it? I, I can't believe that they're serious. Well, I think if you sat down, um, Brian, and tried to design somebody that the overwhelming majority of the mainstream media would hate, you'd design Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, he's rich. He's you know, inexperienced in politics. Rash. He's flamboyant. He's a braggart and all those things. They can't stand the guy. <laughs> Plus, you know, by and large, he's been pretty conservative, and they don't like that either. And the result is unbelievably biased coverage. And the failure to cover Donald Trump well, something even remotely close to fairness has been one of the greatest failures of the mainstream media in our time. And it may go down as the greatest. The, the Trump-Russia story that they all pursued so eagerly and with obvious belief in it collapsed, uh, and, they le- and they learned nothing. Lastly, Britt, they're going to come up to you, some segment producer, ambitious. They're going to say, Britt, let's do a story outside with you walking around talking to voters outside. Please say no. That's a that's a job for Brett Bear. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, you go outside in this weather, and you're out there a little uh, just briefly, and yeah. suddenly your mouth doesn't work properly. Yeah, we don't need that. You stay no. indoors. We need we need yeah, one survivor right. to stay back. Brett, thanks so much. I look forward to your coverage tonight always, and throughout this season. To you, Brian. Same All here, and I'll see you in person in New Hampshire. I hope uh, we'll have the whole show down there. All right, thanks so much, Brett Hume. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'll open up to some phone calls and also expand the talk. I keep promising to get to the Houthi rebels and why it matters. I know people are laughing about that. It really matters. And I just got to remind you at the Rialto Theater on Sunday, streamed on Fox Nation Live, 3 o'clock Eastern time, I'll be on stage talking about America great from the start. Teddy and Booker T still out on the best solo list. Thanks to you guys. I hope to keep it there, too. Everybody gets a book with a ticket. 1-866-408-7669 to be on this show. But to get tickets, go to BrianKillMead.com, and I sign every book, too. You are on the show on this Monday. Don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's so frustrating to watch this because in the Trump administration, Iran wasn't doing this through its proxy. <laughs> Iran didn't have the money to because oil prices were low because we had sanctions on Iranian oil. And we had sanctions. We had put the Houthis on the terror watch list, for example. So there was no way these countries and their proxies could attack the United States. And now we're seeing with a reversal of those policies, that's exactly what they're doing.
Right, and that is Katie McFarlane, used to work for Henry Kissinger. She, that's how she cut her teeth at the State Department, was former Deputy Secretary of State, had a key position with Trump, but got caught up in that fake Russia scandal. But having said that, she's got experience, and she sees the difference in the policies and how it affects us. Now, I know this is what I got over the weekend. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't care about Taiwan. I, I don't care about the Houthi world. Well, let me just tell you, I get it. We have enough to go here. But this is how it relates. Do you know? That now that the Red Sea is a target practice for the Houthi rebels, even after we bombed, they're still shooting off rockets, even though we did some damage, that it's cost us $1 million a day in fuel costs. Do you know that oil jumped $80? $80. And do you know the terror attacks have uh, spiked shipping costs 600%? So when you want to get that futon delivered or your shoes uh, or your shoes at a shoe store, everything's more expensive. It's going to go down to the consumer. And because these lunatics who got fu- funded and trained by the, the by the Iranians in support of uh, Palestinians have thought they'd go after us. So now we got to spend all this money, keep all our men and women out there overseas longer and escort commercial vessels. in. they're still not coming. And the rockets are still streaming in. One was hit there this morning. We knocked it down at tremendous cost to us. You make one mistake, one rocket malfunctions, and suddenly the Houthi rebels get a score against the American ship, which would be uh, cataclysmic for us, PR, as well as the casualties that would consist. Now, why do we care about Taiwan? Well, number one, it says to us how much we care about our allies. Taiwan had an election over the weekend, at which time the independent, the progressive party won again. Pro-democracy. Beijing was doing everything to to attack the elections with cyber, to intimidate uh, Taiwanese into not voting for somebody that would be anti, uh, uh, anti-unification with China. That's exactly who they elected again. And because of that, there could be this war is closer than ever. I fully support the democracy. I'm fully thrilled that Taiwan won. But I am not thrilled that we have not supplied the missile defense systems that they paid for already. This La Ching T it says I'm not going to go for separation and independence. That's what the party stands for. I'm not doing that. But he is not for unification. Now, our answer to this is we are not for independence either. The president says I'm not for independence, but didn't qualify it for the non-Far East uh, Far East policy expert. It's because technically Taiwan is part of China, but they've always been independent since 1949 when Chiang Kai-shek lost to Mao, took what was left of his troops, and went to Formosa, which is now Taiwan. Since that time, we went from recognizing them as the real China to now backing red China, but saying, hey, guys, I got your back. Don't attack Taiwan. We let Taiwan go. Our word means nothing, along with leaving Ukraine out to dry. That's why it matters. And if China sees a weak Joe Biden, they might just attack because they think if he's going to lose, if we're going to get it, Taiwan, we got to get it now. That's scary, and you should care. And I know you did. Top Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. So glad you're here. Hope you had a fantastic weekend, no matter where you are, no matter how cold it was or may not be. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from Midtown Manhattan, where uh, it's supposed to go tomorrow. Saturday is like 60, but the bigger story is what is in Iowa. And I got minus 19. This hour, we're going to be joined by Trey Yanks, Fox News foreign correspondent, maybe one of the best reporters in the world. 
He has done a, a remarkable job in Israel and every war zone he's in, including Ukraine. But Trey is uh, marking the 100 years, 100 days since the attack on October 7th and the war that continues. Mark Penn, one of the world's finest uh, pollsters, President Stagwell Group, past advisor President Clinton and Hillary Clinton. He's going to tell us what we should be seeing today on the ground in Iowa and look forward to New Hampshire and who survives. And then Michael Pillsbury standing by, author of the 100-year marathon and a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. But let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Seven of the highest profile cases in the United States going to lay them right here. God, you did not tell me that people would call me the N-word more than they call me Fonnie. Oh, please. Uh, Fonnie Willis, an embarrassment if there ever was one. Trump on trial. The the Georgia election tampering case falling apart, perhaps, as incompetent D.A. Willis gets exposed and she claims racism and sexism. We have the details and the lines, the direct lines to the White House. Number two. It does not happen in a vacuum. Starting with Afghanistan, we've seen time after time the regional powers, whether it's Iran, whether it's Russia, China, much bigger than a regional power, they're all trying to expand. They're all taking advantage of the United States' weakness. It's true. 100 days. The Middle East and Far East. It's been 100 days since October 7th. We will talk about its impact on America and U.S.-Israeli relations, plus why the Houthis attack. And now the Taiwan elections will affect all of us here at home. Number one. Donald Trump, 49 percent of Donald Trump supporters said they were extremely enthusiastic about voting for him. 23 percent of Ron DeSantis's. For Haley, that number was 9 percent. If you're not terribly enthusiastic, are you going to drag yourself out on a night like this? That is true, David Axelrod. All eyes on Iowa as the caucus kicks off. Polls show Trump with a commanding lead. The shatter records. The battle for second critical will cover every angle, including the brutal weather as Joe Biden is in free fall with 33 percent approval rating. And part of that is because of the way he's handled the war in Ukraine, the way he has not gotten in front and gotten the weapons to Taiwan that they paid for. And of course, in Israel, I fully back backing Israel. A lot of his party does not. And then, of course, berating Israel to wrap up a war that's not close to being done because the threat uh, still remains. That all figures into his the uh, the epic fall of his approval numbers. I mean, it's rises 33 percent. And then over the weekend, we finally hit back at the Houthis on Friday and Saturday, who hit us with countless attacks and made the Red Sea unpassable for commercial vessels. Joining us now, Mike Pillsbury on this, as well as the Taiwanese elections. First, Mike, on the Middle East and the Red Sea. How do you think we're viewed in this area? Uh, because we seem to be under attack from every Iranian militia, and now we're even sparring with Israel. Hi, Brian. I draw a sharp contrast between the way Trump handled things in the Middle East and what he presumably would be doing in the last 100 days if he were president compared to what the Biden people are doing. The Biden people look weak. I think all over the world there's a perception of why doesn't he stand up and do something uh, there's this idea of carping and criticizing the Israelis, always pushing for a ceasefire, not doing much about the Houthis at all, and then the strange mixed messages on Taiwan and on China. All this is a real contrast from how Trump handled these issues. And frankly, it's going to give us a dangerous year in the year ahead, I'm afraid, when when the Chinese and Hamas and the Houthis and Iran are all uh, looking for excuses to be even more aggressive in what might be Biden's final year in office. 
Uh, let's hope. Uh, I don't think even if you're a Democrat, you can think that he, we're run, he's running the country effectively, uh, I would think. Uh, oil jumped to $80 a barrel. That should matter to everyone listening. Going around the Southern Africa now instead of through the Red Sea is costing us $1 million for shipping fuel costs. Uh, also, uh, shipping costs them now are up 600%. So the people listening at home will say, who cares? That shouldn't matter. It really does. I want you to bring you to, before I get you to comment on the Taiwanese elections, I want you to tell me what you think of Staff Sergeant David Bellavia, a decorated Medal of Honor recipient for his actions in the Battle of Fallujah. Cut 32. The Biden administration and their appeasement of the Iranian mullahs, even Jimmy Carter saw the mullahs as a threat in Iran. Joe Biden, for whatever reason, continues to be afraid of Iran and China, and this is going to cost American lives. Do you see it that way? Uh, Yes, I do. I think our military officer corps believes it should be out of politics and not make comments. Sometimes people take it all the way and say, even if you're a retired four-star and you think Biden is a disaster, you're not allowed by the code of conduct to speak out. So when someone does speak out like this, You have to really respect their integrity and their ethics. I think a lot of our military that I interact with, I I go visit bases. I remember visiting recently what used to be called Fort Bragg. Um, The officers there were, to to a person, very concerned about Biden and how he's perceived around the world. But they dare not speak out because that's the – supposedly that's the tradition, going back to George Washington that you don't criticize the civilian authority. You know that from your Washington Secret Six book where yeah. where he had his own espionage ring. That's a wonderful book, by the way. People don't praise it enough, in my view. But we have a Thanks, tradition. Thanks. Actually, over the George weekend, Washington. it went over a million copies sold. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> so you got to admire a Medal of Honor winner speaking out, and I wish more would do so. Right. So let's talk about Iran before we go to China, if I could. Uh, David Albright over the weekend, a former U.S. weapons inspector, uh, said the long pole in the tent of building nuclear weapons is essentially complete, that Iran can quickly make enough weapons-grade uranium for many nuclear weapons, something it should uh, could not do in 2003. Today, it would only need about a week to produce enough for a nuclear weapon. How does that change anything? Well, this has been the case for quite some time. The intelligence community has been warning that Iran is just a screwdriver turn away from a nuclear weapon. The big picture from Trump's point of view was to use other means to contain Iran, even overthrow the regime if necessary, but to make sure they don't produce a large number of nuclear weapons on ICBMs that can reach the United States. That's the bigger picture. So it looks like the Biden people are, you know, they've lost that that idea, and they're now in in many ways breaking about a large Iranian nuclear force. It's a total nightmare. Over the weekend, uh, Taiwan had an election, at which time they elected the Progressive Party uh, president-elect, Lai Ching-Ti, who could face a tough four years in office, they say, with no parliamentary majority and opposition from Beijing. Uh, They got lukewarm endorsements from the European Union. Listen to these uh, spineless uh, cowards. The election's held in Taiwan on January 13th. Uh, welcomes the election January and congratulates all the voters who participate in the democratic exercises. Wow. Beijing said this, uh, offered a harsh statement saying uh, the DPP cannot represent the mainstream public opinion on the island and will not impede the inevitable trend of China's reunification. So 
Where do we stand right now with Taiwan tensions with Beijing? We're moving into a more dangerous period. That's how I would summarize it. Our policy since uh, the Nixon visit in 1972 is to give the impression to the Chinese leadership that they have a chance to reunify with Taiwan if they do it peacefully and if they're patient. When something like this election happens, and especially the, the polls in Taiwan that indicate now it's sort of less than 5% who want unification with, with communist China, this takes away the, the Beijing leadership's idea that we still have a chance peacefully to unify. They're starting to think that they have no option other than the use of force. And obviously, when the U.S. is bogged down and distracted elsewhere in the world, and when the Biden team sends these confusing messages by not delivering the, the F-16 jet fighters and the other things Taiwan's paid for, it gives an incentive to Xi Jinping and the Chinese military to try to use force to resolve the problem. They've got several options. They could blockade uh, Taiwan's ports. They could try a small-scale invasion of some outer islands. But this is a dangerous period because Beijing is so shocked that the wrong person won the election in Taiwan. It's defiance. They don't want it to happen like what happened in Hong Kong. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. It'll happen overnight. So what do we do? And then when the president of the United States, when asked, do you support Taiwan independence? He said, no, people are confused. They're not like Mike Pillsbury, who does this for a living, who studies all these uh, relationships with nations. That's true. But it's a gray area. We support uh, we support. We know that they are. they're a Commonwealth of China. They're part of China, but they're independent of China. They have their own government that's been running uh, fee and fr- free and fair elections since the late eighties, right? Yes, and what Your Biden could have said, what Biden could have said, and he's, I hope he still says it, is I agree with the past seven presidents that any uh, resolution of the Taiwan issue must have the support of the people on Taiwan and must be peaceful. Those are the two conditions. So when it just says we are against Taiwan independence and does not have the conditions <laughs> that, is, that the people of Taiwan must support it, uh, it's a green light to China. It's the wrong thing to say. Uh, no doubt about it. So we'll see what Taipei does. They, they came out and said, you know, we got to work together on this. So the question, we don't know what the answer is. If they are attacked, Taiwan is attacked, is the threats become an outright invasion. What do we do? Well, the most important thing, Brian, is do something quickly within hours, because if we start, if we are stalling and debating and uh, the Biden team is not sure what to do, uh, then the progress in a blockade or in an actual invasion would be really rapid. It's just the first two or three days when they knock out uh, Taiwan's air bases, they paralyze the Taiwan power grid system. Uh, they sink the main ships. Taiwan does not have any ships or jet fighters or anything. So if they take it out in the first day or two while the Biden team is still having meetings, then we lose. And we lose not just Taiwan. We lose in the, all over Asia where our bluff has been called. That's what I'm most worried about. Right. And- a quick American response. If China believes that will happen – then my view is they will not try. They're not suicidal in Beijing. But it all happens with how they enter and, uh, and interpret the president's response when he was told in San Francisco last month that we plan on taking Taiwan, get used to it. What did he say? You can have it? Did he say you better not? Did he say we will have a response? 
What did he well, say, they, and then what do you think China believes? Talk. Great question, but they're keeping the talk secret. We don't know if Biden uh, threatened Xi Jinping or not. Trump obviously did. Trump has told a couple times publicly that he said to Xi Jinping, don't try it, or words to that effect. And nothing happened. I mean, Trump is successful for four years. But the Biden people seem to be confusing the Chinese that maybe they should try to solve it in a non-peaceful way because it's the only uh, hope they have. And frankly, holding up these weapons that Taiwan has paid for, they bought 55 F-16 jet fighters. Most of them have not been sent to Taiwan. It's, I mean, this is an $8 billion uh, purchase that has not been honored. This is really uh, sending a big message to Beijing right. that we don't care that much about Taiwan's defense. Go ahead and take it, take a chance. Or we don't have it to send it. That's my other fear, is that we send it, but it hasn't been made yet uh, because of our the, the fracturing of our military industrial base. But lastly, on this, to say that China's this formidable foe only getting stronger is not to tell the true story. They are not doing well economically. Their growth forecasts are not great. They have a younger generation who does not want to work, who is still harboring some resentment from the brutal crackdown during the pandemic uh, and the one-child policy. I mean, tell me the reality of what China is. Well, they're in trouble, and, and they know it. If they want to, they can draw on this $3 trillion foreign exchange reserve to pump up their economy. But another option, the one I'm afraid of, Brian, another option is the use of force. This is a classic means of distracting a population when you have economic problems, is to get involved in a, in a war somewhere. So you, can, so you can say, don't worry about inflation and there's no jobs for the younger generation. Look what, look what I'm doing. I'm preserving our dignity by using force against Taiwan. That's what I'm most afraid of, Brian. Understood. Uh, pick up his book, The Hundred Years' War. Uh, Michael Pillsbury. The Marathon. Uh, the Hundred Year Marathon. Uh, and you're a senior fellow at Heritage. Hope there's no war. Yeah, let's hope not. And, Michael, if uh, Trump wins, do you, play, do you plan on playing a role with his administration? Yeah, I openly support Trump. I think he did a wonderful job, and I'd be honored to do anything he wants me to do. We had a lot of conversations in, in his four years already. He's a he's a really sophisticated China expert himself, so he doesn't need another expert. But I'd really I'd like to help him any way I can. Between you and Robert Lighthizer, I think you have the respect of both sides of the aisle. Michael, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right, when we come back, your calls, and then we go out to Israel, Trey Yinks. And then Mark Penn, one of the best pollsters in the business, as we look at Iowa Monday. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, you look particularly at this this uh, measure of candidate enthusiasm. Uh, Donald Trump, 49 percent of Donald Trump supporters said they were extremely enthusiastic about voting for him. Twenty three percent of Ron DeSantis's. For Haley, that number was nine percent. And you have to ask yourself, if you're not terribly enthusiastic, uh, are you going to drag yourself out on a night like this? And that's just and that would be a difference if you look at some indicator, if Iowans would go out in minus 19 degree weather, uh, if you did not see the poll, Trump's at 48. Uh, Haley DeSantis said uh, 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 DeSantis 
Uh, that is down three. Haley is up four at 20. DeSantis is down three at 16. Vivek up three at eight. The evangelicals, 51% in Trump's call corner, even though the governor of Iowa and the leading evangelical leader, Bob Vanderplatz, voted for, excuse me, endorsed DeSantis. Haley's got 12. Let's go to the uh, let's go to the phones right now. Stewart listening in Queens, New York. Hey, Stewart. Hey, Brian. I'm a uh, Ron DeSantis supporter and two quick items. Number one, uh, mark this down. It's going to be political malpractice and suicide for the GOP to nominate Trump, who will be sitting in courtrooms in September and October and likely be convicted. Uh, We're going to go down to defeat. Number two, the reason why the Democrat election strategists did these indictments, starting with Alvin Bragg, is because they deliberately were looking to manipulate voters, GOP voters, into rallying around Trump so that the GOP, that, so that the Democrat election strategists would get their weakest opponent. These indictments were done on purpose. Maybe. But it's, it's but there, there's a school of thought there. I don't I don't know what case is going to come up in the fall. And if it gets close to the fall, how could it not look like election interference? Remember, you know, there's little things that you do if there's an indictment really close, except for what James Comey did. It was so overwhelming. He had to go bring the hammer down on Hillary Clinton and open up an investigation. She thinks it cost him the election. If it gets close, you really think that that judge from Miami on the documents has got to say, OK, now that it's October, let's make this a surprise. Let's do a court case on the documents. Is there a Biden case on the documents? So I think that whole Super Tuesday date is in jeopardy, too, because the president wanted to delay because of immunity and that judgment. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All it does is reinforce that notion of weakness, right? Because there were over 100 attacks on U.S. interests and and U.S. outposts in in Iraq and Syria after the October attacks. And we didn't do anything. We kind of looked the other way, pretended it wasn't happening. And then they started, the Houthis started lobbying missiles at American vessels. And it's hard to ignore that. So what did we do? We had perimeter defense. As a missile was on its way to a ship, we, we destroyed the missile. But we never went to the source of the missile. And that's what supposedly the Biden administration attack two nights ago was supposed to be. Go to those sources. But somehow or other, the leaders, we never got any of the leaders. Every, those places were empty. And so it, it almost reinforces the notion of weakness. Well, that's just it. A lot of times you... You warn people you're going to target to say, you can get out of there. We're blowing it up. It's up to you if you want to leave. Five did die, but none of the Houthi leaders or the guy that they named uh, this tribe after, this brutal tribe that are absolutely despicable human beings, uh, they are out there terrorizing everybody, now uh, rocketing anything that's uh, floating in the Red Sea. So that's why we had to put a coalition together that cost millions of dollars. Uh, so KT McFarland uh, analyzed it correct. We hit him on Friday. We hit him on Saturday morning. Uh, they rocketed back. We knocked it out of the sky. We do not know how much is left. We think we just got 20 to 30 percent of their firepower. Trey Yinks joins us now. Trey, uh, the Houthis have never been good actors, but they never really targeted uh, us the way they were doing the Saudis. How close are they to Hamas? That's a great question. And part of their charter has to do with supporting the idea of a Palestinian state and supporting the efforts of organizations like Hamas and Islamic Jihad to fight Israel. 
And so many of these Houthi rebels, they're born fighters that have participated in multiple wars. But now they have focused their efforts not just on trying to, to hit Israel, but to hit shipping vessels in the Red Sea. And this is a major problem for the Americans, for Operation Prosperity Guardian that was announced by Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, and for the broader coalition of countries that are trying to ensure that global trade is not interrupted by this Iran-backed group. Uh, yes, but they still have at least some firepower left, and we'll see where, how far they want to go. Uh, so let's talk about 100 days since October 7th. This war really began against Gaza. There's a report out in De- uh, that said in December, uh, Joe Biden was so fed up with Netanyahu, he says, I'm done with you, and hung up the phone on him. How how grave, uh, how bad is our relations right now between Netanyahu and Biden or the Biden administration and the Netanyahu administration? So there's a lot of reports out there talking about this critical relationship between Israel and the United States. And I think it's best defined by looking toward the future, because Israel and the U.S. have different visions of what a post-war Gaza looks like. They also have different visions of what the Middle East should look like in terms of Israeli security. And the United States has both publicly and privately put pressure on Israel to enter into a different phase on the ground inside Gaza. And it does appear that they will soon enter into this next phase, but it's likely not directly related to this push from the Biden administration. The reality is that the Israelis weren't going to keep up a massive air campaign against Gaza for much longer because they've simply run out of targets. They've told two million Palestinians to head to the southern part of the Strip, and they are still bombing targets in that area. And it becomes incredibly challenging to pick out targets, even though they are still fighting thousands of Hamas militants inside Gaza. So so we're in a different phase now. Do you know how much of the Hamas fighting force has been killed? And do you trust any of the casualty numbers coming out of Gaza? Yeah, so the Israelis say around 9,000 Hamas militants have been either killed or captured since the operation began to respond to the massacre that took place on October 7th, 101 days ago. As for the casualties inside Gaza, the Hamas-run Palestinian Health Ministry says around 24,000 people have been killed since the war began, with more than half of them being children. Now, we can't independently confirm those numbers, but we do know that thousands have been killed, thousands of civilians in the Israeli operation against Gaza, and the number is is quite high. It's just simply impossible Given the fact that many are still buried under the rubble inside Gaza, there are no independent bodies who are are checking the numbers out of Gaza. But one of the challenging things to report here is is understanding where the information is coming from, but also understanding that historically the world has viewed these numbers as the only reference point when conflict erupts between Israel and Gaza. And so we can't independently confirm the exact number, but it is thousands of people. So we know, though, they have over 100 hostages, and I understand tapes are released of these hostages was that aired in the uh, Israeli press? So the Israeli press has been very careful about not re-airing the Hamas propaganda that is released during this conflict. But it was huge news when yesterday three hostages were basically confirmed to be alive at some point because we know that th- these were individuals that the Israelis did not know if, if they were alive. So they've, they've been able to, from these videos, confirm that they were alive at some point, 
But what is so ominous about this video that was released by Hamas is it was it was a threat to Israel and also a bit of psychological warfare as the conflict continues, saying you will find out about their fate tomorrow, and, and that is today. And so it would not be out of the ordinary for them to then post a, a video mm. for, further giving evidence of what they say are, are the result of Israeli airstrikes inside Gaza. Is it, we can't wow. guess as to what we'll, what we'll know, though. So do you know what kind of pro, where they're at now with any types of talks and what the offer is from uh, through Qatar uh, from Hamas to the, to the IDF? Yeah, so the Qataris and the Egyptians have been trying to get another agreement together for a temporary ceasefire that could see more hostages released from Hamas captivity. The issue here is that Hamas is running out of, of negotiating room. They're running out of leverage in these conversations because they have continued to push off efforts to get especially the civilians out of Gaza. And we're still talking about more than 130 people. And and so what's the, the main issue here is that Israeli intelligence, according to reports, indicates that Yahya Sinwar, the leader of Hamas, is hiding among Israeli hostages. So the Israelis can't conduct a raid inside Gaza in the tunnel network to save them because it risks their lives. They can't bomb the, the Hamas leadership because they could kill their own civilians. And then you have Hamas, who is becoming increasingly under pressure because Israeli forces are making new gains on the ground inside Gaza. And it's part of the reason they're starting to release more videos and information to try and put pressure on these negotiations and talks that are taking place. Right. It's, it's one of the most. And that's why they did it. Hamas did it. Um, when you, when Iran is talking about being, I think it was a week ago, they were talking about having a measured response. Essentially, if I could just paraphrase it, don't go too far in provoking us. What do you think they're up to? It's, it's an interesting question, and historically, the Iranians are known for their strategic patience. And I think back to January of 2020 when the top general in Iran, Qasem Soleimani, was taken out in a drone strike that was ordered by President Trump. And the Iranians threatened a massive response against the United States and its allies, and then ultimately they fired 13 ballistic missiles at a base that houses American troops. And while it was a significant response, that was it. And historically, we have seen the Iranians threaten these large conflicts and attacks and then do nothing. And both Israel and the United States are putting massive pressure on their proxies. The Israelis are actively fighting Hamas inside Gaza. They are responding to every single uh, rocket and every single anti-tank guided missile fired by the Lebanese militant group Hezbollah. And now the United States and its allies are striking Houthi rebels in Yemen. And so Iran is under a lot of pressure, and they are at risk of losing their military posture in the region because they depend on these proxies to have a threatening right. presence across the Middle East. And so it's unclear if they'll actually take action from Iranian territory, but so far they have not. Trey, I know you're not in Iraq anymore, but in Iraq, uh, they're evidently the Iranians inf- using their influence to try to ha- get a vote. The Badr group is trying to get a vote to oust the U.S., from our embassy and from our bases in Iraq. How much is window dressing and how much pressure are we under, if any, if the Iraqi government wants us to go? It is a real concern for American forces because as this story has unfolded over the past three months, we've seen increased attacks toward U.S. troops in both Iraq and Syria conducted by 
Iran-backed Iraqi Shia militias. We're talking about groups like Qatai Hezbollah that have an open ability to operate on the ground in Iraq. And so they can increase the pressure on American troops in the region. They can also increase political pressure inside Iraq, in Baghdad, on politicians because they have a force of people. They have the ability to mobilize people into the streets for protests and riots, and they, they can turn up the heat if they decide to. And so it is a real concern, and it is something the United States will be watching closely in the coming days, weeks, and months to ensure that U.S. forces that are still stationed in the Middle East won't be at increased risk. Hey, Trey, how are you doing 100 days in? We're doing all right. Uh, you know, we, we train for these moments, and the team is, is focused on getting this world and really cutting through a lot of the noise that you continue to hear mm. amid these developing stories. And so we're focused doing what we can to – continue reporting on the ground. We're actually right now just on our way back from a story just north of Tel Aviv where there was a terrorist attack this afternoon that killed one Israeli civilian and wounded 17 others in a ramming and stabbing attacks. Uh, Two Palestinian suspects were arrested there from the West Bank city of Hebron. And so there's a lot of moving parts to this story, a lot of fronts, and an unpredictable Mm time period ahead. And so we're, we're focused on the mission, and we're going to keep reporting. I know you will. Trey Yinks, you're the best. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Reporting, us for, uh, reporting to us from Israel. Now you're updated. We come back. The latest on Iowa, Mark Penn, president of the Stagwell Group, former advisor to the Clintons. With the Harris polls now, he's going to give his insight hours until the end of the Iowa caucus. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I think he's just doing what he does, and I think it's like kind of incumbent upon all of us. Look, my mom's 88, still living on the farm, drives herself. Um, folks are able to do this, so I think this little bit of ageism that goes to this, if, if it's not that, would be something else. They attack all of us on something. This is part of it. Yes, if Governor Waltz's mom can drive, then I think President Biden should get another four years. Mark Penn, you've said that all along. Uh, you're president of Stagwell Group, past advisor to President Clinton and Hillary Clinton. You know him on the Harris polls. Mark, welcome back. Is that a successful defense of is that what Joe Biden needs? <laughs> you know, uh, Joe Biden's out there doing the job of president. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I, I'm always puzzled that the Republicans are always saying that they don't want Joe Biden to run if they think he's such a weak candidate. I don't know why they keep attacking him. For the age, he's out there on the campaign trail. He's 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 going to campaign. Uh, I think we'll you know we'll we'll see how it goes. You know. So you sense there's no sense for a last minute substitute. You, you saw uh, the poll that he's only got 33 percent approval. Uh, that's a 15 year low for an incumbent president, and only 20. This according to an ABC poll, only 28 percent think he has the mental sharpness for another term. Uh, yes, and as you know, uh, I've got plenty of polls that kind of show similar numbers. So I don't, I, I don't argue this. There's, there's no doubt that Joe Biden has the toughest polling numbers that I have seen. He's got a State of the Union coming up, which is probably his best opportunity to pick up four or five points. We'll see how it goes. If it's a negative, divisive message, it's not going to pick up anything. If he really starts to reach out to the center, this is his kind of last opportunity to talk to the nation before the before the campaign really starts. So, look, I think his numbers are about the worst I've seen. I worked with President Clinton when we had similar numbers, but those were a year out. 
And by now, we had really turned our numbers around. 1,700 caucus sites, 150,000, according to Ronald McDaniel, told me Saturday she expects, she said that would be a good showing, being that it's minus 19 degrees. Uh, do you think three emerge from Iowa and get to New Hampshire? Uh, I think more likely two. Uh, you know, I, look, I think a lot of the things you want to look for, does Donald Trump get more or less than 50 percent? You know, he's at 48 yep. percent in, in that in that last poll. I think getting over 50 says more people favor him than oppose him. And then the second thing you're looking for is does Nikki Haley come in second, which is in I don't know how much money Ron DeSantis spent, call it one hundred and fifty million dollars. Right. To come in third in, in Iowa is, is a real shellacking. And, and so I, I think he'd drop out if he if he came if he came in third. If there's some upset here and he comes in a strong second, that 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 you know will will reinvigorate his race. Uh, he claims he's got a ground game that that doesn't reflect in the polls. I've heard that before. The Des Moines Register poll has been quite accurate in the past. Right. Uh, would it be tough? Would it be tough for him if let's say he comes in third and they're at sixteen? Haley's at 18, he's at 16, Trump's at 48, roughly like it is right now. Does he get up today, tonight, like does he at 11 o'clock, does he meet with his guys? Is there a downside to to playing it out in New Hampshire, playing it out in in South Carolina? Are costs really that great? Well, but what's the point? You know, you know, do you think, do you have a strategy to really come back? I mean, obviously Joe Biden got shellacked in New Hampshire uh, and, and Iowa, but had a strategy to come back in South Carolina or at least one that emerged and that re- re- revived his campaign. Uh, you know, really DeSantis has to perform in Iowa. He went after the Trump voters. He staked the campaign on it. He said that was where he was going to do it. I don't see a late strategy for him. I think he's then got to get out of the way, let the two-person race happen, and, and we'll, see what, we'll see how it develops. So Governor Haley, you know, people say she's surging. She has emerged. She went from single digits. She's definitely a factor. has a lot of funding. What I find so interesting is I look at her as a conservative Republican, a George W. Bush conservative Republican, maybe like McCain, maybe more conservative than McCain. But some look at her as a moderate. In fact, if you look at the polls, when asked if uh, if Haley doesn't get the nomination, where would you go? Forty three percent of her supporters would vote for Joe Biden and only 23 percent for Trump. Why? Well, I don't know whether it's a question of moderate or conservative, but but she now is the the anti-Trump candidate. Remember, there's a lot of suburban women who don't like Trump, and they're the critical swing vote. I think people don't realize 49 percent of Republican primary voters are women. Fifty one percent are in the suburbs when you really go through once you get out of Iowa and uh, New Hampshire and you get into the, the primaries. Generally, there aren't that many Republicans in the cities. They're in the suburbs. And she is a strong suburban candidate. So within her situation, there is a reason to keep going, even if she does not do well in Iowa and is a distant second in New Hampshire. You have a different calculus there? She has to do well in New Hampshire. For her, it's about New Hampshire. If she comes close and can declare it a victory, what would I consider close? You know, she's got to get 30 percent plus, maybe 40 is a real victory, 30 percent you stay in the race. There are 23 states with independent voters. Uh, she she can consolidate the non-Trump vote. It is close to half the, the Republican electorate. 
um, and and she'd be an effective general election candidate for sure. And and then there'll be a primary. But if she doesn't really, you know, if she gets 20 percent in New Hampshire, then game, set, match. Donald Trump is the nominee. Interesting. And then all the money would consolidate and we know exactly who's going to be the nominee as he gets set for all his trials whenever they start. Mark Penn, fascinating time, even for a guy that's seen so much like you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, Mark Penn, great. Hey, listen, just a quick reminder. Coming up on this Sunday at 3 o'clock local uh, Eastern time, Rialto Square Theater. I'll be on stage talking about America great from the start, inspirational, patriotic, and motivational. Go get tickets now, BrianKillMe.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.